My name is Aramio said from Pong. I come to you live every Thursday. I'm not going to come to you tomorrow because it's Thanksgiving and I'll be with the fam. But I wrote a piece this morning about my right to your education. And it's not obvious that I have a right to your education. Um, but I do, right? And there are going to be a few reasons why this is the case. So I wrote, a, I wrote out the arguments this morning, but I'll tell you in oral form right here. Let's say I have a right to be a soccer player. Uh, this is a hypothetical, right? Let's say I have a right to be a soccer player, but, uh, and you want to participate in soccer with me, and you think that you have a right to be a soccer player too, except you refuse to learn the rules of soccer. You refuse to learn the rules of soccer. You don't think you should have to. Uh, they make you feel badly. Uh, your parents didn't learn soccer, so it would somehow, be, learning the rules of soccer would somehow um, dishonor them in their ignorance. So you, you think you have a right to play soccer with me on my field, but not learn the rules. The problem is I can't play soccer if you keep picking it up with your hands. I can't actually play the game. It keeps getting interrupted with, wheel, uh, with whistles and like, let's say it's, there is no ref. And so like, you're just, I, I can't be a soccer player because you don't know the rules. I can't be a soccer player because you don't know the rules. Do you see where this is going? Now, I do not have a right to be a soccer player, but I do, however, have the right to be a citizen. I have the right to organize a union, and I have the right to participate in all sorts of substantive institutions, legal institutions, for example, right? But, um, and you don't have to agree with me as member, as also co-participants in these institutions, I have the right to enter family relations, right? So... All of, all of these rights are realized through my participation in certain institutions. And in order to participate in these institutions, I need the other institutional members to know how to participate, to know enough to substantively agree or disagree with the procedures going on in these institutions, right? So the quality of knowledge you need in order to play soccer doesn't mean you let me win. It means you know how to play the game um, so that we can play, right? The quality of knowledge you need uh, in order to, for us to self, for me to self-govern with you, these United States, isn't, doesn't mean that you're going to always agree with me. No, but it means you're going to be able to substantively disagree with me because you know enough to substantively disagree with me. I, I had the unfortunate not unfortunate. Oregon's actually nice. It's really pretty, actually. So I lived in Corvallis, Oregon, for about a year, and there are no, there are very few black people in Oregon. And if you ask the people in Corvallis, Oregon, why there aren't black people in Oregon, the ones who went to public schools or private schools, they'll tell you, well, you know, I don't know. I guess they just, they just never, uh, they just never showed up. They just never came here. There's a bit of an echo in my mic. Oh, you sound fine. Ah, so um, I'll. I'll check. Oh, there is an echo. That, that, should, that should fix the echo in my mic. So. Good. All right. So I lived in Corvallis. The people of Corvallis did not know uh, why there were no black people in uh, Oregon. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I did a little research myself because these things don't happen by accident. And it turns out black people 
were barred from buying property in Oregon until 1926. 1926 isn't that long ago. The house I lived in in Oregon was over 100 years ago. So like, like they couldn't have bought that house, right? So, um, so what does it mean that black people weren't allowed to buy property in Oregon uh, until 1926? Well, what it means is that there is no old black money. And when you're not allowed to buy property until 1926, it's not like real estate agents were clamoring to get your money in 1927, right? So they had anti-miscegenation laws up until the 50s. And so there, were just, there was no black old money in, in all that Hewlett Packard money, all that Nike money. Like it's not going to be with black people because those are businesses based, all the timber in Oregon. Um, it's just not going to be black because uh, the, the old money is real money. And so what do the, state of the, people, the good people in the state of Oregon, Oregon owe to the Negroes in terms of reparations? Well, that's going to be an interesting debate, but it's only a debate you can have if you know as an Oregon resident that the state barred black people from buying property when all of the good property was being bought. Right, like there is like all there, all the good property is gone now, right? So, or you're buying it from white people. So, what does it mean with the intergenerational wealth that's going to go on in Oregon as the baby boomers die, uh, buying property who where the real estate agents literally would not sell to the Negroes, um, and all that family property and all that family money, pretty much. So, what does that mean in terms of reparations? What does what do the people in Oregon owe the I grew up there and did not know this. Yes, thanks, Mason Saunders. The good news is you can just Google anything I say and it'll, it, well, about this and it'll just be right. Like, it was founded as a white utopia uh, that they don't teach. So the people in Oregon are, are like, are made too ignorant to have this debate. They don't have to agree with how I come out at this debate. Like, for example, I think we should get whole swaths of land. <laughs> Good land too. I want like all of Astoria. Now you could just build an entire black town and put an HBCU there. Like I want, I want an entire piece of the valley. Um, uh, I want, I want, like, I, I want eminent domain land just like that. Black people are just given in Oregon. Good land too, and and maybe that's what they're, or maybe thirteen percent of, uh, you know, fourteen percent of of uh, Oregon's GDP should go directly to like HBCUs or something. We like, we could figure out a solution to this. Um, but in order to figure out this solution, we have to actually be able to articulate the problem. And the people in Oregon have to know that black people were like cut out of all of the wealth generated from Oregon over the last 20th century, right? So like, what does that mean? All that timber money, and they're currently cut out too, because now it's too expensive to break in, right? Like you can't just buy that timber land anymore. Um, and old money is a lot of money, so there is no old black money in Oregon, and that's everything to do with Oregon's constitution, as it was founded as a white utopia. If you do not know that, you cannot have the conversation about reparations, what justice needs to be done uh, to black people, right? And your public education needs to include that tidbit in order for me to be able to exercise my right as a citizen with you. Because without that, I have to do double duty, which means I have to both teach you 
and advocate for a, a specific position. And that's not the job, right? So, um, yeah, so the quality of education you need in order for me to be able to participate with you in our institution matters, right? So you could say, I mean, we do the same thing. Um, well, I mean, you can do the same thing with, say, like, run the argument with driver's ed. You can say, well, you know what? Um, you know, my mom doesn't want me to take driver's ed because, you know, we think it should be natural and it's not appropriate for me to take driver's ed. I just want, should get my license without having to take driver's ed. What does that mean for me on the streets? <laughs> like, I want, I want, but like that screws up my ability. You not knowing the rules of the road screws up my ability to walk <laughs> because you're like a danger on the sidewalk. Right. So like you're like a danger, like you're a danger to me on the sidewalk. Like I can't walk or ride my bike because you refuse to learn the rules of the road. So your knowledge screws up my ability to self-determine myself. Right. And so that's going to be it's going to be a similar argument with respect to labor justice. You can say, well, you know, you have the right to organize a union. Yeah. But if everyone has been taught that career and college readiness means not knowing anything about organized labor and the dynamic between employers and employees, then like they've actually been taught a coherent ideology that militates against the idea of labor organizing, right? So their ignorance, their coherent ignorance around what, what it means to be career and college ready now like has been formed to make it harder for me to organize a union because they just don't know enough about like the fact that the only reason they're on child laborers and eight and a, and a and a 40 day work week isn't because of like leaning in or pluck or individual negotiating but because of actual labor organizing if you knew that then we could have a debate about what right to work laws should mean or um what actually freedom in the workplace entails and all of that, we could have the conversation. But if you don't know your labor history or just the logic of like factory floors and the asymmetry between individual work power and individual worker power or and the boss, then you don't you don't know enough to participate meaningfully and substantively in this conversation with me. Right. And it puts it on like incumbent on me on my particular side to educate you. And that's just not fair. That's, there's an asymmetry. And now you have a coherent ideology that's built on you not knowing. So you have a vested interest in remaining stupid. Because, um, you know, I wrote this piece this morning, it's easier to, uh, to change a roof than change a foundation. So if you have an anti-union foundation, like, I, like changing that means changing all sorts of other ideas and how they cohere to your anti-union foundation. Right. So but if you just learn union history in school like you should have, you would be able to participate in these this institution of like how we should think about laws regarding organized labor. Well. Right. So you can't participate. I can't be a citizen because you don't know enough to participate in this institution with me. Right. So I have a right to your education, right? So Democrats don't talk like this because they don't want to actually, they don't want to talk about the content of schools. They'll talk about the form, whether it should be charter schools or, uh, or public schools or private schools, but they won't talk about the content. Whereas the Republicans, they'll just talk about the content. They'll talk about how you, no unions in school. 
<laughs> no union education in school. They'll talk about the content. The Democrats don't have the guts to actually talk about the political content of an education. Right? They'll try to hide under the veneer of science. Oh, well, you know, we just teach science. But no, you actually have to teach the politics too and, and have a political stand on what should be in our, uh, in our schools um, because, like I said, the Republicans have a very clear political stance on what should be excluded from our, our schools, right? So you actually need to fight this fight. This is one reason why the critical race theory battle is actually an important battle for cultural progress and, you know, the hope of racial justice. There are certain things you need to know. For example, the class. The class. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina. Right, so, like, if you're in the South and you don't know the history of pogroms, when I say pogroms, I mean just like just wiping black people out <laughs> when the whites got too anxious and how that still works on the black mind down here, then you don't know enough to figure out a reparations plan, right? Like, I, I'm trying to think of pogroms. I know, well, everyone knows the Wilmington one, right? Um, um, the, the time where Wilmington, North Carolina elected like a few black officials and so the whites just got mad and wiped out those officials and ran the rest out, right? But that's not Wilmington. That's also Rosewood. That's Forsyth County in Georgia. It's Memphis. I think New Orleans had one. There's like pogroms on. Those are the ones that are actually like official. They're unofficial pogroms all around that, you know, when the whites get nervous, they run you out. As like, because that's, you know, the, the quality of entitlement they have. Right? So if you don't know the history of those kind of programs, you don't know the quality of terrorism that black people live in under, like within the United States. Like you don't know. You just, you, you don't know enough to have the conversation. Right? And you don't know how to make that right. Right? So, and that's not science. That's actually like political history. You need to fight for that in the school books. So it can't just be like, well, you know, Democrats just believe in the science. No, you need to actually, um, you need to actually like fight for the political like history you need so that people can participate in the institutions. Like I said, with this knowledge, it's not like everyone's going to agree with me, but they will be able to substantively disagree with me because right now they're too dumb or they've been made ignorant in a way to that they can't even substantively disagree with me because they don't know enough to have the conversation. And it's been filled in with a coherent ideology that tells them that they do know enough and, that, and then they're threatened by anything new, right? This could all be fixed if we actually take compulsory education seriously. And you have to understand, compulsory education is compulsory because it's not stuff people would choose to learn. It's the stuff we teach kids that they wouldn't choose to learn of their own. Right? It's the stuff that actually, like, so this argument that we can't teach kids things that make them feel bad, but we teach them calculus and we teach them chemistry, and, you know, very few, few people feel good doing that stuff. We teach them because it doesn't matter how you feel. We teach it because we need you to learn this. Right? So compulsory education is about the things we need you to learn regardless of how you feel. But the white, but the white parents want, you, want to teach it to you um, uh, calibrated to their feelings. Calibrated to their feelings. I, I, I don't want anyone teaching my kid things that will make them feel bad, regardless of how it screws up my rights, because now they can't participate in our shared institution. And for the people who just joined, it goes back to, like I said, if I have a right to be a soccer player, but my opponent doesn't want to learn the rules of soccer, then I can't exercise my right to be a soccer player. 
I can't actually play the game because they're always picking it up. They're always, <laughs> like, like, I can't play the game, right? So I need them to know certain things in order for me to actually determine myself as a soccer player. But I don't have a right to be a soccer player. I do have a right to be a citizen. So what do I need you to know so that I can be a citizen with you? What do I need to, you to know so that we can organize a union? I can be a colleague with you on the shop floor. What do I need you to know about like the history of labor organizing? What do I need you to know about the history of race in your municipality or your state or the nation so that we can debate reparations? Because right now you don't know enough to debate reparations. And that's a problem, right? I, you know, my students were actually really surprised when I talked about, uh, we, we read Derek Bell's Racial Realism and an essay he wrote on Brown versus Board of Education. One, the students didn't know that so many black teachers got tired, they got fired. I'm a little tired, so. They, the students didn't know that so many black teachers got fired because of Brown versus Board of Education. Yeah, it turns out that like black teachers were overqualified because they were locked out of other as, uh, aspects of American civil life. So they were teachers, they were overqualified, and they got fired with integration, like heaps of black teachers got fired with integration. Principals then maybe became assistant principals. Um, but like what it did was integrate like people into white power. And that was a problem. We didn't integrate school boards and principals. We integrated students, the most vulnerable people, into a, a system of white supremacy because we didn't want to fire a lot of white men and white ladies who were teaching. And that is a problem, right? But you got to know that. You have to know that for like, if you understand why are black people alienated from uh, education institutions? Well, you know, they were integrated into supremacy. And that's not really particularly appealing to a lot of black youth. So that you got a bunch of teachers there who like aren't really qualified in terms of their disposition to teach these kids because they don't want to teach. Teachers can't teach what the teachers don't know, and the teachers don't know enough to actually teach the quality of racial history that black youth need. Um, so just consider what we need you to know in order for us to even discuss, to us for us to participate in this, like, in this project of self-governance through institutions. Like, what do I need to know? And parents will say like, okay, so here's the, parents do have a say in their kids' education because they participate in the family with the students. So they have a very, they have a very interested, um, uh, uh, like kind of vested interest in the student's education because that's an immediate relationship. Like the, the kid and the parent, that's an immediate relationship. And that is, uh, uh, you know, so when I teach something to the kid, it actually becomes part of the parent in a way, right? Because there's no real mediating bound between them. So like the parents do have a vested interest in what the kids learn because of the relationship between parents and children. And that's fine. But that child isn't, that student isn't just someone's child. They're also someone's future boss, someone's future colleague, someone's future, you know, person who's about to cut them off on the road. That child is also someone's future fellow citizen. So when we teach them, we can't just teach the child relative to the fact that that person is someone's kid, that child is someone's kid. We have to teach the child, there's a public interest in teaching the child that, um, in a way that makes them like, that's consistent with their future responsibilities as someone's colleague, as someone's fellow citizen, and as someone's um, 
you know, uh, you know, partner, right? So parents do have a say over their children's um, education insofar as their parents and they're in a special relationship with that child in an immediate relationship, but they don't have unilateral say because there are, there are, um, there are, that child isn't merely a member of that person's family. That child is also a member of civil society, which they share with me, right? So I need something, I need that child to know things that maybe their parents don't care about them learning. But I need them insofar as we are participating in civil society. I need them to know things so that we can participate as citizens, right? So it's not as if parents are going to have unilateral say over the child's education because the child is not merely someone's kid. They're also a future participant in this project of self-governance, right? So I do have a vested interest in our rights and like in the quality of other people's education insofar as we share institutions and I need them to be able to substantively agree and disagree with the institution, with like within the institution. So I hope that was clear, um, how I have a right to your education, and and why the Democrat? Why don't? Uh, good question. Why don't the Democrats actually get this right? Democrats don't want to be in the content business with respect to education. They just kind of want to leave it up to magic. They want uh, this liberal idea that everything comes from the individual and institutions don't matter, but institutions very much matter. Institutions very much matter, and. Um, for the realization of freedom. I can't be a soccer player unless like there's an institution called soccer that everyone knows the rules of, right? So like institutions very much matter for the project of self-determination. And I, I just need, I, yeah. So if you don't think institutions matter, then you don't see why I like, the, all of the members of the institution have a claim on all the other members' education, right? Because you don't think inst, uh, institutes matter. I mean, institutions matter. But if you do see that institutions matter, you understand the argument that any member of the institution has a vested interest in all of the other members of the institutions knowing enough to have the debate. You need to know enough to substantively agree and you need to know enough to substantively disagree. Democrats don't care about this because like they don't care about they don't care about institutions and plus they they don't want to think about the content of education they'd rather go to a fundraising um, for bankers <laughs> right they don't like it's just not fun for company Democrats there's more money and better cheese at the the, the bankers um, uh, fundraiser than it is for actually like working with the teachers and working with the educators to figure out what the content should be for you know all the citizens of these United States right so. By the way, if you like anything I'm doing, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5.15 or $50 a month. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget. And uh, pass this around to all of your friends because Democrats don't have this debate. They don't. They don't. They run away from it. And I'm giving you, um, and I'm giving you all the arguments you need in order to understand that actually we have a vested interest. For your freedom, you have a vested interest in what other people know insofar as your freedom is realized through institutions with other people. They need to know enough to, deliberate, to uh, uh, deliberate and substantively agree and disagree. 
right? And I'll say it before, if you don't get it to them early, then you have, then they've built a coherent worldview and ideology that's exclusive of the truth, right? And so then when the truth comes up, it crops up like a weed and they have to rejigger their whole house because uh, like the, the, everything else they've understood has, has been built on a foundation of lies or half-truths. And that is destabilizing and anxiety uh, producing for them. So they'll say like, well, you know, I shouldn't have to be made anxious by learning things, so I'm just not gonna learn. And that's the situation we're in right now, right? So this idea that we tailor um, education to people's anxiety is, is, is going to be deeply problematic. No, compulsory education, like mandatory schooling, is about what people don't want to learn. Is about what people wouldn't choose to learn. <laughs> no, no sweat, Iris. You know what you could do, Iris? Tell all your friends that where you get your political knowledge. And I'm giving you, I'm giving you guys, I'm giving you the content of what you should be talking about tomorrow at Thanksgiving dinner. This is actually a conversation that could actually, you know, be in the table. This is like, this is, I'm giving you nice G-rated content. You can talk about this with your kids. Like these are nice formal arguments that aren't too, um, that aren't too uh, hot. Even like your bigoted grandfather will, will appreciate, or your uncle or your cousin or your rich uncle will appreciate the argument because like it's actually a good argument that's actually, that's moderately race neutral and everyone can, um, uh, can, can actually like think through it and it would be good for the nation, right? So, there are certain things everyone in the institution needs to know in order for anyone to actually self-determine themselves through the institution, right? And, and like, like I said, I'm not forcing agreement when I say that. I'm not saying you should learn everything you need to know in order so that you will be forced to agree with me. No, you should learn everything you need to know in order to substantively disagree. And that is fine. And that's how we both are become free through the institutions. But we both need to be there. We both need to like have an adequate like account of the relevant like, knowledge. Right? And these are and this and we can't just call it science. It's actually like political history. Right? So if you like what I'm doing, go over to www.funkyacademic.com, share this on your uh, uh, you know, your social media pages. Let's get these get these likes up let's let's this is a very important kind of argument because the democrats are going to have to fight on education and they don't know the arguments but i'm giving you the arguments right here but i'll put the piece i wrote on this in the description and um yeah no just thank you for your time have a happy holidays i'm not going to be i usually do a thursday show it's not going to be the show tomorrow, but this is the video you need to play for your people while you're cooking dinner for Thanksgiving dinner. Because like this, this, these are good, important arguments. These are good, important arguments about how our freedom depends on what's in other people's heads. Right? Like, thank you for your time, and I will see you next week when I talk about something completely different. <laughs> Peace.